1: And welcome back to the podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in again. I have a special guest for you. His name is Dr. Adam Jenkins. He's the data science lead at Biogen, where he works on optimizing commercial outcomes through marketing, patient outreach, and field force infrastructure utilizing data science and predictive analytics. As we turn the corner on the year, I think a lot of companies and organizations are starting to focus on this. So it's a timely topic. Uh, A little bit on Biogen, they're a leader in the treatment and research of neurological diseases. They've been doing it for 40 years. Prior to being a commercial lead, Adam was part of their digital health team, where he worked on next generation applications of wearable and neurological tests. He's got a PhD in genomics, and he also teaches management skills for data science and big data initiatives at Boston College. So it is a privilege to have Adam on the podcast. Adam, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Now, Adam, let's talk about what got you into healthcare to begin with.
0: Uh, yeah. So kind of as my, uh, I'll say my history kind of lends for itself, I was always really interested in science, you know, mm-hmm. even from a young age and, you know, up through, grad, up through undergrad and grad school. Uh, but when it really gets down to it, going through a PhD, you kind of realize that doing research, it, it, it's really difficult to make a, a, a large impact in the world. Um, I always say that I've had really a couple careers in my life. You know, I wanted to be a scientist at one point, then I wanted to be in government at one point. It's always, how can you really impact the world? I think that that's where most people who get into the medical sector have a very similar outlook. Everyone really wants to have an impact on the world. Um, So, you know, coming to kind of a, a, a biotech and a pharma career, really allows me to have the biggest impact on the, on the largest swath of patients and people in general. Um, and that's really what I've always really wanted to do, is how can I impact the lives of people and really have a meaningful, lasting impact, not just kind of necessarily a one-off. So the medical sector for me is really a way to do that, to connect with people, to make, a, to make an impact on people's lives, uh, and really makes me kind of feel good about, you know, what I'm doing with my skills and uh, my knowledge.
1: That's awesome, Adam. Yeah, and and there's no doubt that uh, the transition from uh, the bench to, to in the books to the where the rubber meets the road in 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 healthcare is a, is a big one. And you you took the jump, so kudos to you. I, I'd like to hear from you. You know, you've been doing it for a while now. What's what's a hot topic that needs to be on health leaders' agendas today? And how are you and the folks at BioGen approaching that?
0: Yeah, so I think that a really hot topic, you know, in kind of the field that I'm in in terms of kind of data science, artificial intelligence, is really how is it going to impact and kind of change how healthcare is run. So we see, you know, the big thing with the medical sector is that it's not just uh, one group kind of uh, formatting what the future is. It's not just the government. It's not just biotech. It's not just researchers. It's everything from payers to HCPs, and it's how everyone interacts with each other. So the hot topic that I think is really, you know, how is artificial intelligence really going to change how operationally all those players really interact with each other? So for instance, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning is playing a big impact on the provider and the payer side of things, just in terms of getting paperwork through, uh, recognizing incorrect forms, things along those lines that are really operational. And I'll say aren't necessarily the sexy side of things. They're having a huge impact in that side, but even how what the impact is on patient and physicians and how they interact with each other—that's a big one that really hasn't been kind of identified yet or really been addressed by a lot of different groups. Yeah. So what my group is really looking at is you know what how does this change if we really do want to uh, kind of implement an algorithm in the field per se? What does that actually do that patient physician interaction? Does it change how they talk to each other? how they feel about each other, how they get the information, all those things that uh, you don't really think about. Um, those are the things that really impact a patient's lives and really how the physician and the patient work with each other um, in the field.
1: I think that's neat. And, uh, and you're right. I mean, as, as health leaders, we are always thinking about, hey, what are we going to do to operationalize this better? How can we lean this out a bit? How can we get better? Improve outcomes. I, I recently had a, a guest that's uh, working on a company whose core technology is blockchain. Yep, and and she brought up something really interesting. She said, "Who cares what it is as long as it gets you the outcome." <laughs> and she found that focusing on the outcome that customers wanted instead of what the technology was really helped. Uh, uh gain momentum with customers and and, and providers using their technology. Do you, do you find that that's the same with AI? I mean, or, or, or do you feel like, hey, you know, by saying, hey, this is AI, we could get more traction here?
0: I'll, I'll say that AI is definitely a way to get viewers in the door, you know, yeah. and really to pique people's interests. And I often, you know, when I talk about this, you know, whether it be at a conference or with students, I always say, you know, raise your hand if you've, if you've dealt with AI in a healthcare sector before, whether it's going to the doctor or um, dealing with an insurance company, and almost no one raises their hand. Hmm. You know, we've been, I don't say we've been promised, but we've been talking about it for good, you know, you know more than a decade now that it'll be changing, you know, how, how doctors do their work, um, kind of the information they get. But we really haven't seen it yet. And I think that one of the biggest hindrances is because no one's been able to kind of crack that, that nugget of how will a patient or a physician interact with such an algorithm. Yeah. Um, I'll say that the medical sector is very, um, it's set up a certain way. So, you know, everyone um, is held accountable, everyone is um, comfortable, uh, and that makes it very difficult to implement new technologies. Um, For Sure. So I'll say that, yeah, AI really is a way to pique people's interest, but uh, we still have a long way to go in terms of actually um, kind of breaking into the industry on any large scale. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good call out. And and so if you guys, uh, you know, lift the veil, you get, you get the folks in the door, AI talk to us about some of the examples of what you and your organization are doing to improve outcomes by doing things differently.
0: Yeah, so I'll say that um, where a lot of companies, not just ours, is making the investments is really in kind of the electronic health records and claims space. The nice thing about, um, I'll say, the U.S. at least is you know we have a pretty um, open, I'll say, community in terms of getting data uh, from uh, third parties. Mm-hmm. So whether it be a company like IQVIA, uh, someone who is kind of a health record aggregator, yes. We can buy all these, these records relatively easily, and it gives you a very good uh, kind of a population outcomes type of uh, data set. And so what we can do is, you know, especially in terms of making patient outcomes better, we can really start to use AI and machine learning to, to really see what's driving an outcome. So what you know, our, our disease space is usually rare diseases and neurological diseases. What we're able to do is we're able to really see where are physicians misdiagnosing? Uh, mm-hmm. Where are they missing diagnoses just because they don't know that a disease exists? Or where do we know that it, that they are missing signals, for instance? So what we're able to do is we're able to use those algorithms to really tease out those, those, those nuggets of truth that normal physicians and PCPs miss to both uh, better a patient's outcome and to uh, When we're looking at patients, we really want to be able to say, you know, early on in the disease, we are going to have some type of intervention so that it doesn't get worse. To really identify those patients who are early on in their disease journey, we'll say. Yes. And to make sure that they uh, get the right treatment um, so that it's not too far down the line. And, you know, it's really uh, a futile uh, exercise to really try and make them better. So we're really putting a lot of, um, I'll say, stress on. Uh, patient management through this type of data analysis mm-hmm.
1: fascinating and so you're working on on these algorithms you've got a group of experts plugging in the the data points that'll flag things now does this do the, are these prompts that that come up in the emr as the physician is logging things in or or is it uh, after the visit how does that work
0: yeah, so so the data is usually a little bit lagged depending on where you get it. So sometimes uh-huh. it's you know three months lag. Sometimes it is instantaneous going through the system. So uh-huh. we usually use how the physicians are actually coding Uh-oh, whether okay. it's comorbidity or a prescription things like that because it is so it's uh, retrospective. Yeah, it's retrospective. Um, got it. But it's 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 very telling when you look at a physician um, and actually. Things that we often miss are due to that physician-patient uh, interaction. So, for yep. instance, if someone's had a disease for a long time, uh, they'll stop coding it in uh, in a patient's history because nothing's changing, so they don't keep coding it. And for us, you know, when we start looking at the type of information, uh, for us it looks like the patient stopped having the disease when in reality they didn't.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So things like that, you kind of have to put yourself in a physician's shoes um, to see what's going on. So it's not always uh, you know, accurate data. For sure. sure. I think that's really great. And yeah, I mean,
1: you know, as a leader, you you really have to understand where you've been, see what mistakes were made, and then course correct. I mean, you could definitely use this data to, to help explain to to the physicians, to the other leaders in the organization- what the misses were and, and how we could change that moving forward.
0: Yep. Yep. I, I completely agree. It's, it's, it's often a topic that um, AI for a lot of, uh, whether it be C-suite or physicians, isn't an area that they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to translate that to kind of an actionable insight and something they can understand is big for us. Because if they don't understand or if uh, whoever's going to be responsible for enacting this doesn't understand kind of what the levers are that they can pull and what the impact is going to be, we failed at our job. So yeah. so we try and make sure that whatever we do and produce is is palatable and easy to utilize for everyone.
1: Yeah. Now that's really interesting. Uh, how about with the building of technology, the running of algorithms, you've got to do iterations. Can you share with us a time when you had a setback during one of those uh, iterations and what you learned from it?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you that. So, um, And I can say this one happens all the time. It's, not, uh-huh. uh, it's, it's probably the biggest one that it happens in terms of impact and the one that happens most awful, often is that when we're running these algorithms, we have to keep in mind that we don't see the entire patient's Kind of history or what's going on with them. So a lot of times patients are being, I'll say, coded as one disease. Yep. And it's just the the physician being smart and doing, you know what, I need to code up this, this patient as having a disease in order for them to get treated by their insurance. So oftentimes we see these type of artifacts coming through the data and the algorithms will learn that. And then all of a sudden a physician or a, a payer, for instance, will say, uh, you know, we'll reimburse uh, a different code, so you don't have to keep miscoding this patient. Yeah, and then the algorithm fails ultimately, and we don't we don't understand why. And it's only through kind of intense looking at how formularies change on the first of each year, which is also very topical, seeing as though it's being in January. You know, those type of things that algorithms are learning from, and that we're learning through the data that aren't captured, those those cause a lot of failures, and it's really. Uh, I'll say frustrating for us, but it's just part of kind of the space. Like I started up the podcast saying, you know, it's all these different players together in the same playground, uh, which makes it very difficult to tease out true signals through a lot of algorithms. So it's us trying to triangulate and calculate and figure out, you know, what's the highest probability of being correct. And oftentimes, you know, we kind of miss the boat and it's not it's not what we think it is. So I'll say that that's kind of the biggest issue that we have and the time that we fail most often is when that happens.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, and and uh, because what happens in the room and the judgments that are made, you know, the outputs could could be confusing for 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 the algorithms.
0: Yeah, it's as much as it's confusing for the patient in terms of medically while they're doing things, it's just as confusing for us, you know, kind of looking at what the output from that room is, trying to really understand what occurred.
1: Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's super interesting. And, and so you, you obviously tweak, you, you learn, you collaborate amongst different, different silos, and eventually you get to an endpoint. and And talk to us about a time when you had an amazing experience with what you're doing uh, there. Uh, talk to us about something exciting that happened to you recently.
0: Yeah, I'll say that for, for us working in the neurological and the rare disease space, a lot of the diseases that we work on really are ones that don't have any treatment options. Mm-hmm. So when we get into a rare disease space, one of, the, one of the biggest moments that we see and that are exciting is when we have a launch and when we apply some type of algorithm or statistic that we think will make a patient's lives better. So whether it be uh, treating spinal muscular atrophy, which is our big rare disease at Biogen, or something like multiple sclerosis, you know, implementing an algorithm in, in the real world saying that we think that this will... Decrease uh, adverse events or something like that. Seeing those in the real world and seeing the data start to stream in months later. Oftentimes we're waiting and seeing that is changing. That's that's usually the biggest win for us. That's you know that's when we go out for drinks after work and really say, <laughs> you know, it worked. Yeah. Um, so that's really where we kind of hang our hat and say, you know, we really did good today. Even though it'll take you know a year or two years to get to that point, that, that's really where really where we aim for and why we work where we do.
1: That's pretty cu- great, Adam. And, and so, you know, as, as folks are listening uh, to this interview today, you know, f- what advice would you give to uh, an organization leader or the people that typically get involved in implementing these types of programs? Like, what, what do they have to do to increase the chances of success with AI in their organization?
0: I'll normally say, uh, take it slow. Um, It's not, I'll say there's, you, it's not a easy thing to do. You have to get the data correct. You have to get the right people. You have to make sure that the environment that you're trying to affect will actually be uh, amicable amicable to, Mm -hmm. you know, taking those new uh, insights in. So it's not a quick win. You're not going to do it in a year, or even two years. It's going to be a multi-year process and it's going to be, difficult. There, there's nothing easy about it. I'll say that the creation of the algorithms is the easy part. Um, it's everything around it that's really, really difficult. So oftentimes you're not, you're not fighting with the data, you're fighting with actual people and implementations and just the operationalization of it. So really take it step by step, kind of stay the course. And, and before long, you know, you will start seeing uh, little wins and successes. But I will say that just knowing that it's not a quick journey is, is usually the biggest thing that I can say to anyone who who's trying or any organization that's trying to get into this space because it's often the one that companies are looking for quick wins and they're looking because they think that they see every other company doing it. Um they're looking for that quick uh feedback loop to say hey this is working. Yeah. When in reality um you're gonna have more failures and a long longer timeline than you think. So what's uh is there
1: is there a typical timeline you'd say to to get it to start working?
0: Um, so I normally say, so the first thing is I'll say that you have to, I'll say it's usually a three-year process. Yeah. Uh, that first year is, is really assessing, um, not even the data or the, or the algorithms, but really, um, what space do we want to try to affect yeah. and where do we want to, uh, kind of concentrate all of our power? The second year is usually all about data and making sure that you have the right data set up in the right place that is accurate data. So doing all the kind of those descriptive statistics just to make sure that what you have is actually what you need. And then that third year, you can usually start putting everything together and and seeing some type of uh, return on your investment.
1: Love that. That's a great outline, Adam. And folks, just a little uh, insight as you look to implement things here in the new year, do it with perspective and uh, do it with the right approach and, uh, and manage your expectations. Because if you do and you do things right, the, the results are going to be very promising. Adam, what would you say is a, is a project that you're hyper-focused on today?
0: So hyper-focused, um, I am probably the one that I'm most excited about and the one that um, I'm most hyper-focused about is the misdiagnosis of rare diseases. We see so many patients being misdiagnosed. Just because physicians don't know, or they learned it, you know, one line in a textbook back in their first year in medical school, and they don't remember a disease exists. So we see all the time patients misdiagnosed and going through, you know, you hear stories, 10, 15 years of patients um, kind of suffering through a disease that they they can't solve. Um, And it's only just because a physician doesn't know it exists or doesn't remember. It's no fault of the physicians, no fault of the patients, but it's really seeing a patient finally be able to put a, a name to the disease and a reason for what they have. That's something that's really, really exciting. Um, especially when it starts to open up different kind of interventions and disease modifying therapies that they can now be treated with. Seeing that kind of world open up to them um, is something that's really exciting and something that's, that I'm really excited about. Adam, I think it's
1: great. and And folks, I'm sure you've all at one point or another, found yourself maybe with not something super um uh, urgent or or terminal but maybe something where you're just like man like i just got out of the urgent care and i still don't know what this thing is I uh, uh, just think that's twenty times worse, and now you, there's a platform to be able to say this is exactly what it is, and that's exciting, and that's the work Adam and his team are working on. So, Adam, appreciate all the things that you guys are doing to to really help the diagnosis of these things.
0: Yeah, no problem. And it's it's one of those things I always joke about that uh, WebMD was the best and the worst thing to ever be created because it it did kind of open up a world where patients and even physicians were able to start to diagnose and really yeah. look at kind of a, a, technol- a technological interface for mm-hmm. uh, diagnosing themselves or others um, as bad as, as some of the, diagno- the diagnoses usually are and how <laughs> off they usually are. Um, yeah. It is a great first stepping stone for people getting used to that type of interaction. So I'll always say as bad as it is, it, it really was a great first step kind of in our industry. Yeah.
1: No, I think that's a good call out. So Adam, getting close to the end here, let's pretend you and I are building a leadership course in AI and healthcare to be uh, successful, improve outcomes. I've got a a lightning round questions followed by a favorite book for the listeners. You ready? You got it. Let's go. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
0: Um, I say understanding the needs of everyone from physicians, patients, providers, nothing works in a silo. Um, so even if you have a, a terrible disease, but a payer won't pay for it, you might not get treated. So really understanding the needs of everyone that's uh, in a given environment.
1: What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
0: Assumptions. Assuming that the algorithm's always right or your statistics are always on point, you can assume that your assumptions are wrong, but never assume that they're correct.
1: <laughs> Love that. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
0: I'll probably say learn slow and act fast. So don't be worried if you're not the first one to implement a technology or do something. Learn slowly along the way, see what others are doing. But when it's time to finally act, act fast on it and really get it going. What's one area of focus that drives everything in your organization? Um, I'll say the patient. Everything's patient-focused from the research we do to the commercial side to our patient services. Um, everything we do is really to help the patient help the, um, their outcomes and kind of provide, um, therapies to those who currently don't have any, what's
1: your number one success habit?
0: Uh, my number one success habit, keeping a schedule. Um, it's gotta be a schedule knowing, um, when you're going to do things, why you're doing things, keeping that habit going. And that kind of regimen helps me really stay on task. Love it. What book would you recommend, Adam? Um, I always, I probably say two of them, any book by Jim Collins. So whether it be good to great, great by choice, Mm -hmm. um, just in terms of seeing what it takes, you know, a business to succeed. I I usually think that those things are really cross-functional. You know, most companies have uh, core aspects that are very similar to each other. So either of those two books are great. And then, uh, Brian Grazer's book, a curious mind in terms of asking questions and where Mm -hmm. it gets you. Those are all great books um, that can really help anyone out.
1: Outstanding recommendations, Adam. Thank you for that. And folks, you could find this mini syllabus that we've created for you along with a full transcript, links to all the books and resources that Adam suggested. Just go to outcomesrocket.health and type in Biogen or type in Adam Jenkins in the search bar. You'll see this interview pop up with all that info. Uh, before we conclude, Adam, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place for the listeners could get in touch with you or follow you.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, for a closing thought, I really, you know, everyone who's in the medical sector, um, I'll say oftentimes as I'll say exciting as it is and in, in the prospect of helping everyone, it's often a very frustrating sector as well when we see all the potential for, a, for whether it be a treatment or a technology or a platform to never get discouraged. Um, they usually take a while to get off the ground and they, it, it may seem futile at some points, but I'll say, you know, always keep going because we know why we're doing it for the medical community and for the patients. So just to keep on working as hard as you can to make that happen. And in terms of contacting me, feel free to, you know, friend me on or uh, connect with me on LinkedIn uh, with my name. On Twitter, uh, my handle is of all evil e-v-o-l so for evolution not evil like the bad person (laughs) uh or email me at biogen.com and i'm always willing to help out
1: outstanding adam folks take adam uh up on that invitation to connect and uh adam thanks for uh spending time with us it's been really really fun no
0: problem glad to help out thanks for listening to the outcomes rocket podcast